0: Well, thank you for your welcome uh, this evening. It's really good to be with you and to uh, worship the Lord together with you. I want just for a few minutes to uh, turn back to the passage that we read to Revelation chapter 21. What kind of society do we want? That's been a theme of the referendum last week and the the campaign leading up to that, uh, both sides were trying to present their own vision of or for Scottish society. Now, the Bible is profoundly interested in society and in hope for society. In fact, hope is a a major theme of the whole Bible. Uh, In some parts of the Bible, for example, 1 Peter it doesn't speak so much about the faith as about the hope that we have in Christ. And this hope that the Bible speaks of is one that doesn't end uh, with this life. I'm a as I'm sure you can tell a middle aged guy, and life seems to be galloping by. There's no pause button. And if this life is all there is, then hope amounts to next weekend. Or my next holiday, or a bit further forward, retirement. But then you keep pushing forward and asking, well, then what? Then what happens after that? And ultimately it's decay, old age, death. And that's a a grim prospect. It's a prospect of despair. But the gospel is a message of hope hope for this life, but also beyond this life. It holds out the promise of eternal life of resurrection from the dead, of life on a renewed earth, restored to the original perfection that God made, the original harmony that God made. And, and it's a hope that is, is for us as individuals, but also for society. And I want to reflect on that hope for society as it's presented in Revelation 21. And because time is limited, I just want to focus really on the last uh, few verses, verses 24 to 27. But first, just a word or two about the context of this. Uh, At the beginning of the chapter, John speaks of this vision, he sees, of a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, this new heaven and new earth is not in the sense of brand new, but more in the sense of, of renewed. I've got an old, rather battered car, and I could if I add a sudden injection of cash go and trade it in and buy a a brand new model but that's not really so much the picture here it's more like taking an old broken down battered car to a a garage, to a restorer who will restore it to as good as perhaps even better than it was when it was new that's the kind of image that there is here it's a, a renewed heaven and a renewed earth that is being spoken about It's parallel with the hope that we have in the scriptures of the resurrection of the body. Now, of course, we have a great prototype of that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus died and his body was was placed in a tomb. And then when he rose again, the tomb was empty. It was the same body. It wasn't some totally new, unconnected body. It was the same body that rose again, that had died and been buried in the tomb. and and even to the extent that he showed his disciples that the marks on his hands and in his side where he was wounded in his crucifixion. Jesus spoke about the renewal of all things. Uh, Peter in Acts chapter 3 speaks about the time coming when God will restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So there's this renewal of all things that is promised, there's this great hope that is promised in the scriptures. And it's very much a physical reality. In verse 2, John says, that the writer of this book of Revelation says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And this holy city, or alternatively, a bride dressed for her husband, represents the people of God people of God in all ages. Now, of course, there's much symbolism in the passage. You, you can't just take it all uh, literally. It's, it, it's symbolic language. It's meant to be symbolic. Um, but we have this, this holy city, this new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And then in verse 9, and, and following on from that, we have really the development of that vision, of that site of this holy city. And it's a dazzling, glorious, beautiful city. It's also a massive city. It gives it the dimensions, and it's absolutely massive, bigger by far than any mega city in, in our world today. But I want to jump down to the the last few verses of the passage, and in verse 24, we read that the nations will walk by its light. The word nations here is the Greek word ethne, and that's our, our English word ethnic comes from. Uh, from that so it's not nations in the sort of sense of the modern nation state so much as ethnic groups so for example you might have one country say afghanistan that is, is one nation but there are many different ethnic groups within that nation and that's really what's being talked about here and it speaks about the many many different nations many different ethne ethnic groups in this city they are there in this holy city which represents the people of God. In fact, in the next chapter, chapter 22, it speaks about the healing of the nations, the healing of the ethnic groups. And then we're told that they will walk um, by... uh, Sorry, that the the nations will walk by its light. So they will walk by... That's the light of God and the light of the Lamb. And the Lamb here is Jesus Christ. So God and Jesus Christ are the source of light in this city. And what that means is that these nations, they live in joyful obedience, uh, following the ways of God, the ways of Jesus Christ. God and Jesus Christ are the source and center of life in this city. And then we read that the, the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And then in verse 26, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. And what that's speaking about is that the, the cultural heritage of all the different peoples of the world, it won't be destroyed. It will be redeemed. It will be purified of all that is evil, all that is idolatrous. But all of those cultures, all the heritage of those vast array of cultures that we find in the world today will be directed to the glory of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. So this city, this New Jerusalem, is a a multicultural city. It's a a place of great diversity, great cultural diversity. And we have in these verses a very positive view of human cultures. It speaks of the, the splendor, the glory and honor of the different nations, the different ethnic groups. And we today live in a a world of diverse cultures. Um, And some of you will have travelled and um, had experience of of different cultures in different parts of the world. Or even uh, you don't have to go far, even within our own city here in in Edinburgh. But all that is noble, all that is true, all that is good, all that is praiseworthy of all these different cultures of the world will be there in the new Jerusalem, directed to the praise of God. And the praise of Jesus Christ. So, this city of of the New Jerusalem is not a place of bland cultural uniformity. It's not some kind of globalized cultural meltdown. I'll just use a couple of examples. First of all, in the area of food, which is one of my interests, um, there are are certain, I won't mention the names, but you, you all know what I mean, certain brands of kind of food outlet which. You can go to it in Edinburgh, New York, Karachi, anywhere pretty well. And it's pretty much the same wherever you go. And that's not the kind of image that we have in this city. Rather, it's a city with diverse ethnic cuisine. So you can go and get some mutton curry and chapatis. You can go for your Spanish tapas. You can go for your Chinese meal, your Mexican, your Thai, even haggis, neeps and tatties. But it's, it's all there. There's just variety, diversity. In this city. Or in the area of music. Again, there are, um, you can get sort of watch certain TV shows where you can get music from anywhere around the world and it sounds pretty much the same. And again, that's not what we have here. The New Jerusalem will be more like a world music festival with a rich variety of musical styles. There'll be Indian sitar, African drums, Peruvian panpipes, Scottish fiddle. All different kinds of Western folk and classical and rock music and just reflecting the the vast array of human creativity that we find in our world. So this city, this vision of this city, it's a place of color and variety and vibrancy. Now, of course, this is a vision of the future. It's of this perfect city that is to come. And, of course, we live in an imperfect world but there are implications from this for our mission in a multicultural city, in a multicultural world. Now, in our society over the last few decades, there's been a lot of discussion and debate about multiculturalism on the one hand and the need for integration on the other. And often those two things are kind of um, you know, placed against each other. Now, among the people of God... There has to be integration. There has to be integration for any kind of cohesive church community. And that integration is into recognizing, acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord. Everything has to be brought into submission to Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. The thing that we have in common is that He is our Lord, He is our Savior. Uh, Without that, that there's there's no citizenship of his kingdom, of his city. Um, Without that, God's people would be like a wheel without a hub, if you can imagine that. But Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' city, allows for almost infinite diversity. In fact, we all even see Christ himself. We, 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 We look at Christ from different angles, from the particular cultures that we come from. So we should not try to impose a monocultural uniformity on the church but allow a Christ-centered diversity to flourish. And one of the problems with, perhaps the main problem with multiculturalism as it's usually envisioned in our society is that it's a secular vision uh, where God has been banished to the personal and private sphere. And so it's a vision that is, is really hollow at the center. And in both church and in society, We need a multiculturalism that is God-centered and Christ-centered. And and that is the reality of the New Jerusalem that we see here. Well, then we come to, to verse 27, and there we have really another side, the other side of human cultures and human nature presented. Verse 27 says, nothing impure will ever enter it. And there's much about every nation, every culture, every ethnic group that is impure, shameful, deceitful, evil. And there's no place for these things in this holy city, in the new Jerusalem. So there's a need not only for celebration and affirmation of different cultures, but also for transformation of different cultures. All cultures must come under the judgment of God, under the judgment of the Word of God. All cultures need to be purified and changed in the light of the gospel and through submission to Jesus Christ. And we as God's people need to work for this cultural transformation in the world, in its cultures, including in our own cultures. And then it comes down to the level of the individual. It says, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. There is no place for sin in this city. No place for anything that is shameful, deceitful, evil, sinful. Only the pure may live there. It's like if you imagine some kind of green eco-city that's sort of been designed to be, you know, leave no carbon carbon footprints and it's just a a really clean eco-city. But then somewhere in the middle, someone plants a massive factory that belches out noxious fumes and, and, you know, chokes the atmosphere and, Just pollutes the whole place. It would just, it would ruin the place, wouldn't it? Well, that's what sin would do in this holy city in the New Jerusalem. And of course, there's a problem there because all of us are impure. All of us, our lives are are polluted by our own sins, by our own revolt against God. And so we need to have our sins taken away. We need to have our sins. Cleansed. We need to have our sins um, forgiven. And the next bit really gives the hint of how that can happen. It's only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life who will enter that city. And what it's saying here is that it's not, the population of this city are not people who have achieved self-purification. They have not cleansed themselves but they have been cleansed by the Lamb who is Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, announced Jesus' coming, uh, or sort of really introduced Jesus by saying, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the word lamb really is the language of sacrifice. And in the Bible, in in the Old Testament, There's so much about sacrifice, that people need sacrifices to approach God, that people need sacrifices in order for their sins to be forgiven. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. He died on a cross in order to take away our sins, to bring us to God, to reconcile us to God, to make us pure, to make us clean. And it's through believing in him that we gain, that we can gain access to this city, and to the hope of eternal life. So just to round this up, we have here this vision that is given to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. And it's written down for our benefit. It's a sure and certain vision of the future of God's people, of the renewal of all things. But it also gives us something to aim for and work for and pray for in this age in our communities, in our cities. And yet, of course, only, it will only be fulfilled and complete in the age to come. And we have the, here this picture of this glorious future for the people of God, this picture, this vision of life that is really life. Amen. May God bless his word to us.